Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I, I honestly, well, I, I have two. I have two problems: a near-term one and a short, or a short-term one and a long-term. At one. At least you don't have ninety-nine problems. Well, the short-term one is. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, the the, the short-term one is I was being very productive this morning. I already went to Costco and bought bought a bunch of bought a bunch of stuff. Very good. It, it is good. It's still pretty warm though in Taiwan. So as I carried it into my into my office here, uh, I got a little a little, you know. What's the word? Sweaty. <laughs> and the problem, though, is I don't want to run the air conditioner while talking. We've discussed this before. Uh-huh. So I had to quickly take a cold shower. So we're starting a little late. <laughs> so you had to take a cold shower before you got on the phone with me, huh? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, yes. Yes. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> the, the The long term problem. The long term problem is that uh, I'm honestly still recovering from trying to explain relational. Ah, <laughs> uh, to be fair, I thought you did a pretty damn good job. Well, it is well, hard to take a complicated topic like that, and it's it's for people who understand it. It's it's like it's intuitive, but for people who have never heard of it before, it's hard to take something like that and and explain it in a way that a layperson can understand it. I thought you did a good job. Well, well, thank you. We'll, we'll get to it in just a moment. First, we want to thank our presenting sponsor. Presenting sponsor, uh, Mailchimp. Yeah, yeah. Well, our only sponsor, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is Mailchimp. Um, Mailchimp, believe it or not, has been around since 2001. They started as a side project, funded by various web development jobs, and now they are the leading email marketing platform. And they send actually more than a billion emails a day. Several thousand, which are mine. Their slogan: "Democratize technology for small businesses." And I definitely think that that has been been the case for me. So our thanks to them for being the exclusive sponsor of Exponent. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Anyhow, yeah. So, so I had this brilliant idea. It, which is, which was, um, <laughs> if I might say so myself. Uh, always, <laughs> the good stories always start this way with you. I must admit. <laughs> well, I, I, I was, I, I actually had, a, I had another, had another take on the sort of. Uh, so, so this week was the Oracle Open World, which is like this massive conference in San Francisco where the the entire city is descended on by all these salesmen. Um, it's very, it's very kind of traumatic if you're actually there, um, which is only beaten by the Salesforce conference like a month later. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, people who live in San Francisco know what I'm talking about. But uh, so the, he's up there talking about oh, you know, Oracle moved to the cloud, which they would talk about for the past several years because they have talked about it for the past several years. But of course they get into like Amazon, you know, Amazon's a big trouble. We're taking them on. Their lead is over. And naturally I was inclined to disagree with that. <laughs> and the, the reason I, but to explain why I, I disagreed, I actually had another sort of way to think about it, which I'd like to get into in this podcast mm. uh, because I didn't in, in the article. But as I was kind of thinking about, you know, what's the, what's the problem with the Oracle approach, I kind of realized it was similar to in, in broad strokes, to use as a metaphor, kind of like what made Oracle's original product better than what came before. So I set out to explain Oracle's original project, which was Glacial Database, and four hours later, I was like, I think this might work. It was rough, I have to tell you. It's, it's yeah, it, well, you did a good job, but it is always one of those things where you realize you've bitten off more you can, than you can chew, and you're in the middle of it, and you're not willing to go back because it's a good idea. But like, yeah, some of these things are hard to explain. I can... I, like this was a little bit of my experience writing the book. The takeaway, the, the whole point of it, uh, you can go. We're not going to explain relational databases on 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 this podcast. Um, so <laughs> four hours really later, know, yeah, if you really <laughs> know, you go read it. I condensed it to like three paragraphs. So the the big the big takeaway is that uh, when Oracle got started, uh, the dominant sort of databases were called hierarchical databases, mainly IBM, and they actually developed this to track purchase orders for 
the Apollo space program. Uh, and and it's actually it's still used. It's called uh, information management system. When you go to an ATM, it is almost certainly accessing a, a, an IMS database. The hmm. big advantage is they're really fast because it's very hierarchical. So if you know where you're going because all the paths are kind of defined, it's it's very fast. So if you think about a bank account, like you you look up, you put in the card number, it goes straight to the card number, and then it goes and it kind of goes down the tree to exactly where you want to go. And it's very quick. That's why an ATM transaction, you know, relatively speaking, happens so quickly. Be rel- like as quickly as it can take to load a web page sometimes. Why? Because the web page is dealing with a relational database, which is much, much slower. Anyhow, the point is, is that hierarchical databases are very fast. They were very profitable, but they're constrained because they're kind of, everything's kind of predefined. Like it, it, the path where everything is. So it's hard to amend over time. Mm-hmm. Like if you need to add more information about someone uh, or completely new things, like say you're a bookseller and you want to start selling CDs, for example, like you're kind of in trouble because you've kind of preset everything. And it's hard to adjust after the fact. And it's also really hard to, to kind of find connections and understand things at lower levels because you have to go up and down this tree back and forth. There's no way to understand how things are kind of connected. Relational databases fix that. Basically, with a bunch of tables that can warp in all kinds of crazy ways because basically every cell in that table or there's, there's like a table, there's a column, and there's a key ID. And using one of those, you can kind of jump to another table and to another table. And you, it's like a 3D sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You can... Uh, you you can expand it kind of infinitely after you've already started using it, and you can also explore these really cool relationships between stuff. So, like the example I use in the article is like, what's the most popular book of customers who are over forty or customers who live in Columbus, Ohio? Like that's all that sort of cool stuff that really lets you understand your business was made possible by this brand new technology called called re- relational databases. Right. But anyhow, so so the story the story here. Is the background story is is that you know IBM classic sort of innovators sort of thing they they had their IMS they were protecting it they they were threatened by this new thing they ended up building it but they built it as like an academic project off to the side and and they published all these papers about it and meanwhile Larry Ellison just wanted to start a company he wasn't he wasn't really that concerned about what it was he started out doing like con- contract software development mm. and then like basically oh here we go <laughs> IBM just gave us exactly how to build this thing and they built it and and they ended up being the second most valuable package software company in the world after Microsoft, which, by the way, also got to start from IBM. Anyhow, the, the, the whole that story is interesting, but the, the entire reason to get into it was to, was to build this metaphor of the difference between having something that's predefined and the limitations that go with that and the advantages. It's easier, it's faster, but also versus having much more flexibility. It's much more difficult, but the, the, the key thing to Oracle's success and to the racial database's success, and the math is really hard. But Moore's law was just take was just really getting started. Uh, Gordon Moore published the, the the paper about Moore's law in 1965. In 1975, he he kind of changed the timeline a little bit. But that's right when the racial database was kind of invented. And yeah, it didn't really work at the beginning. But as at the end of the day, it was math. Right and computers are really good at math. And as the computers got better, the the product got better, and yeah, it kind of it kind of took over the world. I and mean, there are other database types, and now there's 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 like 
there's whole categories that are different. There's like what's called NoSQL because the point is it's not a relational database. Mm-hmm. But by and large, relational databases are dominant, both in companies and also even on, on the web. Right, My website runs on a relational database, as most oh, yeah. do. The setup that you had, this notion of comparing the IBM approach uh, with its hierarchical database, with Oracle's approach with the relational database and the flexibility that the relational database brought, um, I, it, was a, it was a very apt setup because it, it almost feels like there's a degree of recursion happening. Like it, it's like the problem, the problem has come around full circle. Right, because the, the what was so interesting is there was the, so there's a few things that are interesting about Oracle's about the, about this keynote. And by the way, if you've ever seen Larry Ellison speak, he's actually a pretty fun guy to watch. Like he's definitely there's a reason he and Steve Jobs were such great friends because like they they spin like these reality like he he spins a reality field like you're in there like oh yeah that makes sense yeah that, that that's what it is and then you step back like no that's wait that doesn't make sense at all but like so there's a few things he talked about so one he talked about they're going to get into infrastructure as a service like basic you can buy commute compute and storage and whatnot from Oracle. It's it's very basic. It's limited. We can talk about more about that more because I think actually the whole cloud area is in, we haven't talked that much about mm. and there, there's a t- ton to talk about. But the one that actually really I thought was really interesting was he his contention is that the way Oracle is going to succeed in like the SaaS space and the software as a service space is they have this whole all these suite of applications, you know, uh, the ERP suite like mm-hmm. um and and human resources and all all this sort of stuff. And basically, he's like, what we've done for the last 10 years is we've rewritten all these for the cloud. And the idea is that, and he's like, we believe we will win because we think that customers want to buy suites. They want to buy everything from one vendor because it reduces complexity, makes things easier, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And... Hmm. Well, what's interesting, we'll get to how this completes the metaphor in a moment, but... That was true. That was true for 30 years. That was true in the entire time that Oracle was growing up and getting rich. And to a certain extent, it even still is true. A little exactly. bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it is. And because, well, let's go back to the, to the pre-cloud world, uh, just, just to, and we can kind of map the transition here. So in the pre-cloud world, there's... You know, all these companies have have their own like the reason it's called on premise, and I know it's some people say it has to be on premises. I actually think it should be on premise because now it's become like a term of art. It's not mm. like an actual descriptor. Anyhow, it's like a holy war. <laughs> I've, I've been on more it. email. I call it. I call or we just call it on prem. <laughs> so they so they would buy servers from Dell or HP or or Sun or whoever, and then put them. In a big building, and we actually talked about this. Remember, like we talked about how I, the that real construction estate. guy, yeah, yeah who, who's, who's like tearing these out. But they would put these literally in office buildings, put tons of air conditioning around them, run them, and then they would they would so they buy all them huge capital expense up front, and they would buy software to run on them, like Oracle databases and or or Microsoft Exchange, and the and this entire process was this multi year like undertaking like it was a big deal right so there was a long time figuring out what you were going to do and you had to take a long time because you were making a massive commitment and the commitment wasn't just time it was or sorry it wasn't just money it was time and it was attention and energy so these these cios would make this big decision award this thing to to award the decision to oracle or award to ibm or whoever it might be then they would come in and they'd buy the servers and these would be this big package deal and there'd be a system integrator and they'd go through this thing and they install and they install the data blah blah, blah and it would literally take years to do this 
this. And then 50% of the time, it didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> right? I know. It, That's like, it was, the crazy thing. It was unbelievably inefficient. But, but they finally get done. They get up and running. And it's such a painful process. But it, it, it was worth it. Believe me. Like Oracle databases like changed enterprise completely. Like It was a massive, massive deal. And it was worth the pain. But that doesn't change the fact it was really super duper painful. And if you had to add something else, oh, it was so much easier to just work with the person you were already worked with. Like it, it was going to be less hassle to get it to work together, although there was still hassle. It, it was like it was just to bring in another vendor and go through a bake off process and get it all working and stuff like that. Oh, it, like it, it was just so much easier to work with the people you were already working with. It's funny. I did so as part of doing CompSci as an undergrad, I did information systems and we'd have professors come in who talked about living through these things. And it kind of blew my mind. And the crazy thing is, and I think we have talked about this on previous episodes, we basically grew up and went into the workforce as this has transitioned away. Like we still have probably had to, I mean, everybody had to use those um, ERP or whatever systems. And there've been times I've gone into big organizations, big banks, for example, like it's scary inside of a big bank, some of the systems that they're using to manage your money. And I I remember working uh, in a couple of them as a consultant and you come in every morning and there'd be a report of what broke overnight and what they'd have to fix. And you think, wow, this is the institution that's that's looking after all my money, like, and and everything, all all the money that flows inside of an economy is basically reliant on these old things that are being held together with duct tape and and chewing gum, and it's crazy. But uh, we've grown up through it as uh, the world has kind of shifted away from these massive implementations where who knows, you'd spend who knows how much money and only a very, like a relatively select few organizations were able able to afford the luxury of being able to do it into this period where it's starting to transition to a very different type of approach. Well, so, but what's, 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 just a sec on the transition because Mm -hmm. what you just said is really important and I think very, very interesting. The thing to understand is people think about the technology era as being one era mm. but it's not there there is there is two there's there's a dramatic line between the pre-internet era and the post-internet era and in the case of the enterprise that pre-post-internet era is really pre-post-cloud era mm-hmm. like so even the first part of the internet was still the old era where and, and this was the characteristic of it it was where companies were spending billions of dollars on technology in the 80s before there was an internet and they were these sort of systems that they would use within their their own you know their it was own like company little self-contained internets inside every company Right, right, but believe, but it was worth it. It really was worth it. Like the return you would get from this sort of understanding you could gain from from an Oracle database or from these ERP systems and actually knowing what your inventory levels on a real time basis. Mm. Like this stuff made a massive difference. And and you just talked about only the big companies could do it. And you think what have we what have what have I been writing about all summer? And we we talked about we got into a little bit. past podcast, this idea that this whole post-World War II era cemented this entire universe of big companies. Mm. And big companies had all the advantages, and like you, if you like, because mm-hmm. they control distribution, totally. they control all this sort of stuff, right? So you had so the P and Gs of the world and the retailers of the world. What's funny is this: the first batch of t- great technology companies 
are very much of that world because they're intertwined with those big companies. Coca-Cola could afford to get a big RP system. Like like the you know, PG can can have the, a massive, mm-hmm. you know, or, Oracle installation. Like all, the banks, as you talked about, were the, some of the very first ones to be using the software. They were with IBM from the beginning because imagine ha- being able to track all the transactions of a bank instantly. That was amazing, and we could do that in the 70s. Well, even more than that, imagine the fact that it all used to be run on paper. Like that, That's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. It is. It is. But, 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 but th- that, is, that is one of the key points I wanted to make, is, is this entire first generation of tech companies are not – like because they're tech companies, we think of them uh, as being in, in the technology world, but they are very much of the world that was. And, and we'll get into like r- the long-term risk factors for Oracle, but, but it actually goes – we'll jump to it right now. Like Oracle is both more – both – more okay and more not okay than you would think. They're more okay because all these companies are going to stick with Oracle to the bitter end, because it, which we can get into why. But when and if this whole world order goes away, as I think it will, as I've been writing about all summer, companies like Oracle, they're going to go right along with them. The, the demarcation that you made around the cloud is one that's really interesting as well. I think people think that the internet – B2B and B2C are slightly different in this regard. I think B2C, a lot of the changes started to be wrought at the point at which the internet was introduced. But for a lot of enterprises, all that meant was just initially another mechanism with which to interact with your customers or communicate, yep. whether it was a website or email. And it, the, real, the real transition, the real impact the internet internet started to have on enterprises didn't really take place until I mean it did in terms of like selling through another channel that is a big deal sure but it didn't really start to take place until the cloud era started to emerge and that's when it shifted from you rec- I mean the old joke was uh, with Oracle you need a new database and Larry needs a new boat like that that <laughs> world started to shift away and it started to shift into this one where you you can start to set you don't have to be huge you can start to set this up with as as you described it nothing more than a credit card and an email address and you're you're up and live and that is a massive shift it is it is but but just one more one more before we get to the shift yeah of course like if you go sorry back to, i'm trying no, to no, no it's okay I, 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 usually you do a good job waiting up but i'm, I'm being I, stuck in the mud here uh, yeah. kind of like oracle so if you go back to the <laughs> if you go back to that this area of the 80s uh. all the limitations we've talked about for traditional businesses apply to tech businesses as well you weren't distributing your software over the internet right you weren't like you actually had right. to go and meet people there was no like FaceTime, right? Like you had to fly in and you meet the CEO and you had to wine and dine him. You go golfing with him and then whatever else else people do with, with, with executives. And, and then you had to do the deal. Like it was this very analog manual process, part of which we got into. And part of it was because it was technology. And the implication of this is not just that only big companies could afford to do it on both sides, mm-hmm. but also the, the the software itself, the way that enterprise companies would write software is they would kind of write these. They would. It, it was like a CPG company. What does a CPG company do? They did in in the old days. They try to build a product that's good for like eighty percent of the population and like put it in and then put it in a retail store, right? Because they're trying to. It's like a minimum or what's the word? Um, lowest common denominator sort of sort of thing, right? And you would have a similar dynamic in in creating software where you had to make something that kind of was good enough for everyone 
or as many people as you could serve. And then once you actually went there and went through this this multi-year painful implementation stuff, you would then customize it to a degree and layer stuff on top to a degree to make it fit them. But by and large, like there was a product and that was the product you were going to use. And it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't at all really designed for you. It was designed for the market as a whole. A conceptual organization. No, but your point, it's a really good point. This idea that there was massive scale required on the demand side to be able to afford these products and to implement them to buy all the infrastructure to put in the server room to hire all the people to do all that stuff but there was massive scale required on the supply side as well to Mm -hmm. to maintain a distribution like this a sales force across the world like that like to set that up is not cheap it's expensive and to to all the infrastructure that's required in order to sell all right i'm going to try one more time and part of this shift in transition has it's been it's it's almost chunking down the extent to which you need to be massive in order to play on both sides of the equation okay fine i guess we can i guess we can move on from, <laughs> move on from the 80s hey, we're out of it finally <laughs> leave, leave behind the bad haircuts <laughs> the music though mm. <laughs> I, well, well, I mean, I grew up with it, so it's. I, yeah, I, I was more of a '90s. I was more of a '90s kid, anyway. To well, be that's true, but like we got the tail end of the '80s, and we did. Yeah. It, we, we, we got uh, we got the talent of the 80s when it was getting so old and tired that we were massively relieved when flannel shirts and, <laughs> and flannel's back in what are you talking about <laughs> it's never gone away there you go <laughs> so so it, it, yes yeah, so so the, what this gets into the metaphor that that I was talking about this idea the reason why I built this metaphor of the hierarchical preset rigid sort of structure that worked it, in the 70s and was fast, but relative to this much more complicated and harder to 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 grok and build relational approach that was so much more powerful and scalable and flexible mm. is to me that's the metaphor for Oracle relative to the this new world that they're taking on. So what was the strategy I, I mentioned a few minutes ago about Oracle for the cloud? They're going to take everything they've did on in on premise and they're going to move it to the cloud. Okay. There let's let's be clear. There are advantages there. And you know enterprise has been moving to subscription-based pricing for many years, even when it was on-premise. So like mm-hmm. Microsoft is, was, was, a, was a real leader in this because you know subscription pricing is a more stable revenue stream for the tech companies. It you know the, the businesses themselves like it because it's it's an it's a it's a variable Operate. expense as opposed to a, a capital oh, expense, right? Operational, yeah, right. Especially because the big companies are much more likely to be measured on things like return on invested capital. Mm-hmm. So if you can magically change a lot of your capital expenses to 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 uh, on, to ongoing expenses, that's great. Um, but but. So there, there's been this shift in price, but in general, the idea, think about it, like having these servers in your office, like what a waste of space, right? Like and paying people to maintain them, what a pain. If you can have someone else do all that, and the cloud has these real advantages, like you can provision news or servers very quickly, you can wrap them down, like you can manage your capacity much better. There is benefits to just very limited benefits just to the cloud, even if you want to do the exact same workflow mm-hmm. that you did before. And Oracle will serve that well, and they're going to have this big suite and say, oh, you can do the same thing you did before, and now you can do it in the cloud. Like, great. Like, th- yes, there are benefits from that. But there's no way this is the future at all. 
because what they're doing is they're they're taking all the constraints of the old world where you had to build out all the software at the beginning and and then kind of slightly customize it on top but it was never really customized for anyone and everyone had to like ever who is there any ever been anyone who loved their ERP software? <laughs> <laughs> like there's the horror stories, right? But the it, it was that way for a reason. It's not because they were bad people, it's because they were building a monolithic thing that had to work for all kinds of companies and all kinds of industries and then slightly customize it. Mm-hmm. Right. And taking that approach to today's world is like trying to use a hierarchical database that is so constrained as all these limitations. Yes, it works and you're used to it, but why would you not want a future where you have you can you have so much more flexibility and scalability? You can change things and you can do all kinds of new things you could never ever do before. And that is a very different kind of future that is offered by a whole collection of cloud companies in conjunction. And Oracle is selling the exact opposite. Well, to an- to answer your rhetorical question, and I think you actually answered it yourself previously, there are a group of companies that might prefer that. And they're the ones that have already gone through the pain of getting to that point and don't want to have to deal with a change management process for 30,000 employees around something that's not going to add a huge amount of value to your business if it's something's already up and working. So if you can get a marginal benefit from taking what you've already built and putting it in the cloud using the same exact Oracle applications and everybody gets the same login, you just have operationalized an expense and you don't have to worry about disaster recovery because Oracle's taking care of it all for you and all that kind of thing. Well, great, that sounds good. But it's that's that's a position that a certain number of existing organizations are already in. It's not the it's not the position that a new company starting out today is in. And if you start with a blank slate as a company thinking about developing or deploying infrastructure, I don't know what Oracle's value proposition would be against uh, a cloud first. Uh, an, an equivalent on the supply side, a company on the supply side that's come at this problem with a blank slate and just like, okay, what would be the best way to do this given the fact that internet exists, given the fact that cloud exists? But my suspicion is that Oracle is, is not going to be able to match them. No, they're not. And, 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 like, and that's why like Oracle is going to be okay for quite a while, right? Because mm. you're right. Companies who already have that process. And, and think about it. All this stuff is interconnected. Those companies... Like they are monolithic companies themselves. They are. They are. They have these big processes meant to serve the mass market, and no surprise like that. And remember, back in the day, they were the only companies that could afford Oracle or the other enterprise software anyway. So naturally, that software went to support those kind of companies' needs, mm-hmm. right? And they're they're all t- together. They're like again, all this stuff is is interconnected. But you think about the companies of the future and by future a lot of very large companies today, like they are they are tech companies. And remember tech companies aren't necessarily just like hardcore technology companies. Like when we talk about the tech industry, is Uber a tech company? Is Airbnb a tech company? Is is Dollar Shave Club, which you know we've acquired, is that a tech company? We cover them. I read about them. The, the news on them is on tech meme, but like, is like Dollar Shave Club is that a tech company? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Well, I mean, well, it's it's a it's a mean, it's it's becoming a meaningless question because yeah. the reality is all companies will be tech companies because the, the everything is going to have to work with what you know what people are going to access stuff on their phones to be on mm. e commerce. The very nature 
the of how society works and how we interact with everything is changing with with technology as the air we breathe and you're not going to build a company without air and so 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 you have these completely new kind of companies that, that remember all of oracle's original customers were were companies that were built without technology like the technology was bolted on after the fact all these new companies are companies that are growing up with that. And you think about that, what's the big advantage of software? Software can be anything you want it to be, right? It's, it's infinitely malleable. And that's what makes it so powerful. It makes it so difficult and so buggy, but that's what makes it so, so powerful. And if you're starting a company, why would you not want to have systems and processes that are not supporting your company but are the very fabric of your company? Why would you not want those perfectly created and attuned for you and for your needs. Are you going to want to go to Oracle and pick one of their 30 applications that have already they've already pre-decided all these things for you? No, you're going to, you're going to want to get what works and exactly right for you. And is that hard? Is it is it like the relational database the, the math was really hard and it was really slow and buggy at the beginning? Is it hard today to glue a bunch of different services together and to build out your own infrastructure? Of course it is. But what's the trend? Like the, the the equivalent of Moore's law getting faster and taking care of a lot of your, your your performance problems is the cloud just being built out further and further and these integrations becoming more and more common and companies rising up to glue different stuff together. Like it, it, the trend is is obvious and just like people went through all that headache and all that sorrow to install an ERP system over five years mm-hmm. and, and half the time it didn't work, they will do the same thing to build out tech infrastructure for their companies because it's it's such a differentiator and it will be such a differentiator and it will in the long run be the only way to build a successful company it's it's so it's funny as you're talking about this and this metaphor isn't perfect but i'm actually reminded back to our conversation of our different approaches to personal transportation and how i moved to california didn't have a car and i was i was uber i'll just uber everywhere and you were talking about how you're slightly different in taipei there were certain circumstances you needed a car so you bought one and now you have the garage in the car and your approach to using uber is slightly different because you've been anchored in this you're anchored in this big existing sunk cost exactly in this big existing investment that you've made and you feel guilty using uber or or whatever it might be you've got the car in the garage you're just going to use it even though uber might be better in certain circumstances and it's all there's a degree of parallelism here too in which in which it managers are going to have to accept or admit almost this big sunk cost of all this infrastructure that no longer works or whatever there's just a there's a degree of parallel which it's just it's it's so much easier to get this right when you come at things from a blank slate as opposed to uh, investments that you've made in the past that f- reframe the way you think about the problem. Well, I mean, frankly, I think it's more likely that uh, all these existing companies are they're, they're just going to decline, right? Like the, mm. the, the world the world belongs to to companies that that are growing up in this in this new environment like i mean i think we're going to look back at this at this you know 20 30 50 year period you know in the long run of history it's going to be relatively small and there's going to be a complete sea change in 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 companies because if you think about it if everything about business is changing because of the internet and and it's and it's 
what it has done to dis- to, to distribution costs and, and and like the importance of winning on the user experience and customization mm. is so much more important in, in everything now because it's possible now. Like remember, the, the, it's not that building something specific for your company or selling something exactly what consumers want. It's not like that was ever a bad idea. It just wasn't possible before. And so the implication is now that it's possible, now that it's possible to actually build the sort of services that you need for your company or to get the exact sort of provider of a particular productivity task, like now that it's possible to pick and choose, why wouldn't you? And 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 it's and all these companies that were in a previous paradigm where they're operating under constraints that today those constraints are completely gone. The problem is it's like it's like one of those one of those animals or something that 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 grows along or like a tree. We talked about this. We did the tree analogy already. If you're a tree that grew towards the sunlight, mm. and now the sun's in a different direction, you're screwed. <laughs> like the tree's not going to bend itself in another direction. It right. least it's going to take many years. By which time it's going to be too late. Right. I, I, you know, I, and maybe I, I probably should have paused the, the, the question you asked around, uh, are they tech companies or are they not? And it's, I said, it's an important question and your, your response was, it's actually an increasingly a meaningless question. I, I should have, I should have paused more there because when you think about it through that lens and you think about, I don't think these companies are necessarily going to fail because they're using Oracle or they're using SAP or any of those things, but rather they are correlated with the type of thinking from a different era that's going to suggest that then they're not going to be the companies that are going, that are best adapted to the changes that have taken place. And 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 if if that's if that's your if you start to believe that then the quest the the point you made around Oracle is going to be fine until all of a sudden it isn't suddenly yeah I mean that's it seems very prescient yeah you know, that's exactly right the correlation is exactly what I'm driving at I would just I would just say I wouldn't say the problem is the thinking the problem is th- you could have a manager of these old of these old line companies that is perfectly like you and I could be managing these companies and it, it, it there's like. There's very little we could do about it. Well, well God the, help them if we're managing them. But yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, <laughs> but, but like uh, everything about these companies, the, the way they're aligned, the way their their supply chains are set up, the way they're, they're the, the products that they sell, and everything about the the, the culture that we've talked about, mm. it's all ingrained in a certain way of doing things. And, and again, it's a way of doing things that that is not going to just like end overnight. It's not like. It's not like Nokia suddenly like there's the iPhone and we're screwed. Like it's going to be this fade and fades are the worst place to be in business because you have the revenue that you, the, the revenue that in the long run is is gone, but you can't forego it now. And so what happens? You just end up in this middle approach where you're propping up what came before and making gestures at what comes in the future, but your gestures are inherently compromised by all the the investment and resources and thinking, there's your thinking, that Mm. that goes in the old way that Mm. you can't fully commit. And this is the reason why startups beat incumbents over and over. Why? Because a a startup is perfectly formulated to solve their initial problem. And everything about the company grows up around that problem shape. The, the incentives, the alignment, the technology that they have, because again, you can customize all that stuff now. It's all perfectly attuned to solving their, their their problem. And this is why the second, it's so hard for companies to have a second hit. 
because they're, they're built around one thing. But the advantage at the beginning is you're, you're so focused that, yeah, you can have an incumbent company with tons of resources that can spend you into the ground. But the problem is they're, 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 they're so they're, – they're calcified in the way they are that even though they have all this money, the reality is like it's like a sewer pipe in the wrong direction where all this – where the water is just flowing out, but only a trickle makes it to where it actually needs to go. Meanwhile, you have a startup there with a water gun who, who yeah, yeah, is their capacity is much less, but they're so much more flexible and capable of aiming where they're going that they win. Uh, it's and as the it's it's that the environment is changing at an ever greater pace too, which is only uh, which then leads this process to continue to accelerate and accelerate. And you look at the length of time for a company to last in the S and P five hundred, and that number is on a downward trend. And I, I think that's only going to continue as what you just described happens more and more, and the environment continues to change, and it it, it the 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 speed at which the environment is changing means that the speed at which is, uh, the fundamental assumptions uh, around the business environment have changed to such an extent that a new company can come along and challenge an existing company, the amount of time it's going to take is only going to continue to decrease. Well, it's interesting because I, I, the, the, there's this massive paradigm shift, which, which is the internet and the way it impacts everything. And, and so any this is the, the prime time to take on all kinds of industries. Right, people think, oh, the, 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 the internet's like, I missed it. It's done. No, like there is so much more change coming because the internet is going to have an impact on basically every single industry and business that is out there. And this is the one time where if you're starting from zero, you have a massive advantage. Right. It, in the future, there will still be change. There will still be disruption. There will still be new companies, but it'll be like newer internet companies taking on older internet companies mm. and one you don't have that paradigm advantage and two the the benefits the way the internet like has those winner take all effects and, and has those scale effects it might in in like 50 years it actually we might have less disruption because you're going to have these massive entrenched companies we're going to be worrying about like antitrust and like all how you deal with all that sort of stuff so mm. it's, it, like i think it's a very unique period right now I, I would concur with that. I think the I think maybe the people that think the internet is done are thinking about it more from the perspective of the historical tech on tech right. as opposed to the evolution that's starting to take place, which is uh, a tech on physical world, which is which is the uh, like tech starting to to put its claws down into all these other industries or, or driving at that question you asked earlier, which is are you a tech company like the question's increasingly meaningless because it's starting to it's it's infiltrating every different industry. That's exactly right. I've made this. I've kind of talked about this before, where you have this situation where the tech industry competed with itself for like twenty five years. Right, as like all these companies just like tearing each other apart, and like it's, it's so funny. Like I was going back and reading about the history of or of Oracle. And you talk about their initial computer being on, on on a deck, and and like what a big deal the deck was, and the deck Vax came out. The company's totally gone. It's been gone for years, and there was just such a period of tech companies killing each other that as they kind of figured out the way the world was going to work. But it, we're kind of in a period of stability now when it comes to tech companies, right? Like there's the big guys 
and they're pretty set. And yeah, they fight with each other, and it's entertaining back and forth. But they're they they are what they are. Even Microsoft has managed to make this transition. I think we'll talk a little more a little bit as far as the cloud goes. But but. You have the big companies, and what's happened? <laughs> Tech, the industry has kind of turned its eye outwards, right? Mm. And so you have all these you have all these incumbent companies that are not only at a huge disadvantage because they're not like tech from the beginning, but they've also they're fat and lazy. <laughs> And you have like you've had this Darwinian evolution in tech for 25 years, where you have these vicious competitors, right? I mean, look at like like Mark Zuckerberg messaging a threat, 18 billion for WhatsApp. It's like that, like that mindset is not is not even remotely the case in most of corporate America or, or right. the corporate world. And, and so you have all these companies that not only have massive advantages because they are tech companies and all the implications that come with that, but they are lean, mean business machines. And and yeah, it's 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 a massacre out there, and it's going to continue to be. It's interesting to think of this. Uh, I so we talked about it previously, but I hadn't really thought about it as this almost walled off ecosystem where th- they're all viciously fighting one another, uh, and uh, all of a sudden the the boundaries around that ecosystem have come down, and you have all these predators like. Uh, Bezos, I mean, Bezos, and look what Amazon's done to industry after industry that it's touched, whether tech or outside of the tech world. And, and they are so highly evolved uh, competitors that when they hit these these other industries that it certainly upends things. Yeah, Bezos is a good example. Or Travis Klanek. Imagine like mm. if, if he came along like 20 years earlier, right? He'd probably be building like an Oracle competitor, right? And the Klanek versus Ellison battles would be absolutely mm. legendary. But today... Why? There's way better markets out there, the entire world as a, as a market. No, it, it, it's very true. And so you have, this, you have this big shift going on. And you're right. The question, are you a tech company, is not meaningless. It is very meaningful. And, but the meaningfulness is not, are you in Silicon Valley or not in Silicon Valley? It's, are you a company that was founded with the, the fundamental assumptions that go with the internet? Or are you one that was not? Tech and, first. It's, it's like a digital native company. It's the same way they talk about kids nowadays, whether they grew up with it. It's the same for companies. Yeah. No, I, I, but but except like, yes, most when you get older, it's harder to change your ways and thinking, mm. but at least it's only you. But the, when, when you get a a army of like 50,000 people, you, like, you, you don't you don't really change. You don't you don't really change direction. I, anyhow, like so you think about about Oracle. There is a market for what Oracle is offering. They're, they're offering this idea for, for these old school companies to move to the cloud and the advantage they have, not really changing their workflow, so not really taking advantage. They're just getting some of the advantages. Oh, and we'll have some infrastructure, so if you want to build some brand new applications, you can do that. Mm. And, and that's fine. Like They will sell. In some respects, I would say that Oracle's actually bigger competitor is Microsoft, in that Microsoft is also, they're very invested in this sort of hybrid approach where Microsoft has all these customers who are also have their, their on-premise software and they're, they're moving them to the cloud, but they're, they're investing a lot of time and energy in making sure that you can, like, how do you manage that transition? It's going to take, you know, five, 10 years or whatever and slowly shifting stuff over. Again, fine market, both companies are going to make a lot of money doing it. The issue, though, the implication, and this gets into the kind of sort of the cloud space, is this – I actually don't think that – I both like the prospects for Azure 
And I also don't think that Azure is really Amazon's biggest competitor in the long run. Like, yes, they, they, Microsoft's invested the most and they have the scale to compete. But as long, the problem is as long as you're, the, the, the problem with the hybrid strategy for, for companies that are engaging it and, and the cloud companies that are serving it is you're by definition have, have some degree of investment in the way things used to be done. Right. And the big payoff from the cloud is not just, is not just having one company take care of installing a bunch of servers for you and that you can ramp up servers quickly. The big payoff, and this is the, this is the case for all major technological shifts, the big payoff comes when you completely revisit like your, your, your controlling assumptions and you rethink how do you make software. And Amazon, like the long-term future, if you're, if you're using AWS, is not spinning up a server and doing all that work to yourself. Like, like the, probably the most interesting AWS service is one called Lambda, where, where basically the idea is you, ne you never have to set up a server ever because you, you have you, call, you, you use this service and it spins up a process in, mic, in milliseconds and you're, you pay by the millisecond basically and it does the thing that you need to do and then you spin it down. And you, you, you never you, – they call it serverless. Obviously, there's a ton of servers there. But the idea as a developer, you have all the benefits of a server, but, but it's a completely new way of operating. And what this does, it, it, the, the, the payoff is huge in developer productivity. Again, you can build stuff – immediately you can have an idea and implement it right away you or or if you're a new company you don't have to you don't have to go through these implementations process or or, or pre-budget stuff you can spin stuff up and this changes so much about everything it changes the, the it changes the products you build it changes the sales process in the long run like it, it's complete rethinking of how you build software of how you do everything and and, and it the way these new internet companies develop software and the way they think about the cloud is going to be fundamentally different than, than the companies that came before and think about, think about like discrete servers. It's crazy that, that you can just abstract away something like that, but it's, it's such an obvious thing. The other element to this, and we touched on it briefly, but it allows for deep specialization for organizations who want to create a specific, so on, again, on the supply side, if you want to create something that, that uh, so we've talked about ERPs as a general application. And one of the things that uh, maybe we, we can get into, because Ellison mentioned it in his keynote, customer experience management, which was the organization I was working on. It enables these elements of uh, deep specialization around a specific application to support different businesses possible. And then you just come along, you say, I want that, we'll, we'll spin it up and we plug it in to the existing cloud infrastructure that we already have. And that, well, not just that, but like if you want, if like you, you can meddle, you can try stuff out. Right, like what, 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 what's like Atlassian was a real pioneer in this, and Slack, and, and mm. more and more companies are doing this model where they're not selling to the CIO, they're not going in at the top, they are going directly to developers, and they're selling to teams. Right, they will sell to like Slack will probably at, at a company they'll have multiple account holders, like where where companies have their own things. I mean, because why? What's what's what does it take to 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 set up Slack? Well, you don't need to buy you the don't service. Need to do anything, you right? don't. Yeah, yeah. You just go in, you enter your email address, and uh, you uh, you're up. And the thing about it is, because of the nature of that sale, 
is so different. It allows you to structure your company entirely differently and it affects your uh, your the economics, the business model of your company. So traditionally, if you're a software company and you wanted to sell like a messaging or a communication platform into one of these organizations, you'd have to go build Larry Ellison's massive sales force. Uh, it was a big sales-led activity. But now if you if you can get the product right, uh, if you can make it super easy to sign up, and it doesn't work for every different service because sometimes there are things that require deep integration or setup and there's there's some cost that's beyond the ability for one individual or a small team to set up. But for specific products, and messaging seems to be one of the great ones at Lassian and Slack. You, you these organizations are famous for not for not having these monster sales forces and instead relying much more on word of mouth like social. This thing is fantastic. We should try. Right? It's highly viral and, and using marketing to reach lots of people, which is like the if, if you think of sales as like the one to one kind of ground war, the army going in trying to take take trench by trench. Marketing is much more of the air war where you're dropping bombs at a much higher level and flying over lots of different organizations at once. You're able to engage in a much more air war type uh, air, air war type approach, which also looks very different from a growth perspective, which is part of the reason why you're seeing these companies exploding growth because the adoption rates can be so quick because all these elements that that were involved in what you'd need to traditionally have in a B2B organization, a B2B software organization, you don't need them anymore. And, and notice this is a this is a key theme of this kind of modern era. Like in our like I in our graduation, we talk about like how the user experience is key because you get the initial customer and then you get mm. the, you get the feedback loop, right? It's the same thing here. Like the, the the way you win these wars is by by having a great user experience. And wow, what a sea change for enterprise software. You win by having a great user experience. Right. Why? Because when you're selling to teams, the buyer is the user. In a way that was never the case before. Again, like the, the you like it wasn't. There was two big problems with why the user experience was so crappy with like ERP software. One, they're building like one product for all kinds of companies, in a, mm-hmm. and, and and so that was part one. But part two, like they they were selling to please a CIO, not to please the actual clerk who was putting in data into the into the field, right? right. And, and today you're different. And, and like what's happened is. The value chain has completely transformed. Where it used to be, where, where where Oracle owned the value chain was kind of in the middle, where they built this 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 application and they had this support function where they would have support conferences going for years, but also this integration sort of thing. And yes, they brought on value recess sellers and all the system integrators, mm-hmm. all sort of stuff. But they owned this middle part, which was kind of like the support and integration and customization in the product itself, and the the the. the the front end part, like building out the infrastructure, that was up to the companies themselves, right? They had to bring in someone else to buy the servers and all that sort of stuff. And and the back end part of like of like being very focused, it didn't really exist because it wasn't really possible, right? I mean, Oracle, they would kind of try to customize it for you, but there was a limit to how far you could go. What's happened with the internet is is that value chain is completely has completely changed. Where on one side is Amazon. And, and and Microsoft and and, the, and Google who who Google it's interesting but I think they're 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 a threat they're interesting uh, but on the front they're integrating all of the software or all the hardware stuff and, and they're and they're and they're not just offering server instances right that's what I just talked about like the the, the long term future is that it's all 
it, it's much more of a platform, but it's not the platform of old where it's like a certain development environment. Like you, you have a, you have a platform as a service. It, it's it's very to the metal. Like all these APIs and services that are flexible and can be used in with any in any environment and stuff like that. But they're offering, but they're integrating up from the hardware, and they're getting more. These services are getting more and more complex. Where you're a developer, you're 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 operating at a higher level, more abstraction. On the other side, you have SaaS providers like Medallia, where you worked, where, where they're building out full-fledged applications that are – like Medallia only does customer experience software. Right. They don't do other stuff. And so th- everything about the company is focused on that and building the best possible product for that. Slack only does messaging. You know, Atlassian – even though they do more products, they're, they're all fundamentally grow, growing out of Jira, basically. And, and so th- they have – they have much more, so they're kind of integrating backwards from from the application into into doing all this sort of stuff. And Oracle and these companies that were in the middle, it's not a place that makes sense anymore. If you're in the middle, if you're a company in the middle, you don't want to buy Oracle that 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 kind of fits you, but not really, and is really hard to get going. You want to either you you have two choices. You're going to go in two directions. Either one, you're going to buy a finished product from these SaaS providers, right? Like Slack for chat. Uh-huh. Or you're going to customize and build exactly what you need by using AWS. So you have all the customization you need on one side and all the finished products you need on the other, and you're set. Why are you going to buy a monolithic kind of fits you, kind of doesn't, when you have these alternative options? I, I mean, you're not. I mean, and again, speaking to uh, <laughs> you, you have, and once once you're one of these SaaS providers, and you start getting good at providing this for a uh, for a certain segment, and you start to become the best, the feedback loops and the 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 the, the positive reinforcement you get from being the best only continues. So you, you start because you're using this software typically to serve lots and lots of different organizations, and you can add more engineers, you can add more resources, you can push the product roadmap further than you'd ever be able to do. And again, I got a taste of this at Medallia in this customer experience space where you do you really is is building out a customer experience management platform the thing that you want to hang your hat on as an organization for most organizations and maybe if you're the size of uber where you build in your rating system yourself maybe if you get to that size the answer is yes actually this is critical we do it ourselves but it got to the point where you develop such a specialty in this from serving so many different organizations that it makes no sense but to get a subscription. And and our experience was like even a, a company like Airbnb, which was one of Medallia's customers. And when you think about this social economy where you have lots of people rating different properties, Airbnb is one of the examples of the companies that definitely does this the most. Even for an organization as big as them, it made sense for them to rely on one of these customized, one of these sp- a specialist. But if it doesn't, you're exactly right. If you're Uber and you're that big, you go build it yourself and that's fantastic. What on earth you do, what on earth, what on what possible need you have for something like Oracle, which is built to one size fits all back in the 1980s? I have no idea. Yeah, it's the same story that we've talked about again and again on this podcast. I talked from the beginning of Stratechery is that in the world that was when you were constrained by distribution, you were constrained by all these all these things. You live big companies lived in the middle, right? They controlled they, they controlled the middle and they were profitable by serving mass markets. 
the key thing with the internet is the middle goes away and value gets driven to the edges. And that's exactly what's happened with enterprise software. The, the value is either on massive infrastructure providers like Amazon, and they're and they're creeping back toward towards the middle by, by offering all these microservices that, that let you build exactly what you want to need really quickly and easily and with just a credit card. Or you're getting on the other side, we have these very specialized applications that are far better to use than what was in the middle ever was. And again, what do you need? All you need is a credit card. And and it's it's such a fundamental transformation. And again, Oracle will be okay because there's so many companies in the middle. And those companies, they're all operating under the same assumptions. But again, once once it starts to go, like it's, it's not going to just – yeah, all these industries are going to go down together. And again, I don't think it's necessarily a traumatic event, but people are going to look back and be like, wow, it's kind of weird that all these companies went out of business in the same like 10-year period. It's not going to be weird. It's going to be completely understandable and interconnected. But that's how ecosystems collapse, right? Like you pull out one, you pull out planks and it, it holds up long enough and then you pull out that last straw and the whole thing collapses. Like there was one, one element by, by which the pressure, the whole ecosystem can't take anymore and all the things that they used to rely on starts to, they, they start to go. Sports. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's, there's one other element of this, which I, I, we haven't exactly touched on, but I think is interesting, which is that the nature of these changes has meant that what is like in the old world, the notion of B2B was very distinct from B2C, but it feels to me as the internet and the cloud and mobile and all these com uh, converging factors have meant that what is B2B and what is B2C is starting to converge. Absolutely. People, people are... Uh, are using these devices in their personal lives and they're having these experiences and and then the option of using it because of the nature of the internet the option of using it like slack is emerging in their personal that their their their, uh, their work life as well and they're given the choice of using one of these clunky old tools particularly when you go home and everything's fantastic or something that's new and slick that feels like something that that somebody who cares about the experience that you as a consumer has, has designed, why would you choose the old clunky thing? And it's, I, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of people, B2B is one of these things that only really people who are interested in the industry or in the industry, uh, whether on the supply or the demand side, have historically been interested in. But as these trends converge, and there'll be elements of what used to happen in B2B or what happens now in B2B that are useful to understand in B2C, I feel like it's it's becoming much more interesting, much more relatable, and it's also a helpful grounding with which to understand some of the trends that are happening in the B2C market as well. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a degree of that, and that's always been the framing of, of the like called the consumerization of IT, right? Mm -hmm. and this idea that people are going to want to use the same, like they have these great experiences as a consumer, they want to use it, they want to have the same great experiences at work, uh -huh. and I think that, that that that's definitely true as far as it goes. But what I would say, the real sort of consumerization aspect is not just like the on the surface of like mm -hmm. this is fun to use or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's it's the it really gets back to the there's such a difference when you're the buyer is the user that mm -hmm. that changes so much about the relationship and what matters in the software and also the speed and flexibility of of trying stuff out like you like there's so little risk to trying stuff and, and th those are the 
yes, the, and that's from where I want a similar user experience flows from. That's yes. from where like the best can rise to the top because you can trial yep. lots of different things. It really gets down, and again, those things are 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 core are core to the are core to the internet. And I think like I don't, I've always been very testy about the conversion of IT thing because that was something Steve Ballmer used to be on all the time. And I always thought his interpretation was really shallow mm-hmm. it, because it was just kind of talk about because it, it didn't entail the fundamental transformation of how Microsoft delivered thought about its products and delivered things and thought about its markets. And and, and but that is changing and it's changing because of the internet and it, it and that is what is the consumerization. It's that you're selling to people, you're not selling to massive companies and you're delivering in seconds. You're not delivering in years. This is I, I, the 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 point is really well made. I think when people talk about this, and perhaps even I was guilty of it just then, you you anchor on the interface, but it speaks to this notion of uh, the chunking down of the, the of the the units by which the supply and the demand side are interacting with each other. And uh, it used to be that it, it was these massive organizations on both sides where you're buying the server room and you're buying all those things. And now as a result of the, the fact that you've abstracted away servers and that people on the other on the demand side are carrying around these massively powerful and very mobile devices in their pockets, you, you are now going from big companies, massive companies selling to massive companies to individual teams or in some instances, even individual users able to make these decisions and they will make it on what they think is best as opposed to what fits best for everyone inside that organization. Yep. And, well, and you're going to get smaller companies and but yeah. more of them, right? Like, again, this is the change of the internet. Like, the, everything about society is going to change. Why are you, You're not going to have these monolithic huge companies in the future. They don't make sense. You're going to have the huge giants, the aggregators, like the Amazons of the world, and you're going to have all these little runaround companies that, that, that are serving niches and are super focused. And, uh, and this is like this, this thinking has to inculcate every, uh, like our politics has to inculcate everything because it, it changes how you think about stuff, right? It changes how you think about health insurance. It changes how you think about the mm. gig economy. It changes how you think about all these sort of processes and, and the concern and frustration. And this is why I get so worried about regulation because the regulators are always last to this. And the implication of, of, of getting to, of locking in stuff with rules is you make it harder to get to this future we need to get to. And the question is, how painful is the transition going to be? Anyhow, we're, 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 we're way along. <laughs> and I have a sick yeah. kid. I have to go take care of him. Okay. Uh, speaking of healthcare, <laughs> yeah. individualized healthcare. Hey, right there. there is individualized healthcare. Unfortunately, there's great healthcare in Taiwan. So he's already. He, That's true. So. You're working in the gig economy, Ben. <laughs> hey, it made it easier to start a techery because oh, we had health insurance. You know better than anybody that my deep belief in the value of, of getting the, the health insurance stuff right. Um, so, yes, but let's not open that can of worms. Yeah, and this is why, like, oh, oh yeah, no, we. Uh, oh, uh, could I just open no. the can of worms? I thought it, but it sounded key, like it. Like, we have to, like, <laughs> we, we, we have to, new businesses and new things are so, it's critical to the future. And so many of our policies run the opposite direction. Oh, it's so frustrating. On the subject of internet services that have been built from the ground up to, like, provide a fantastic experience, I can't think of a better example than MailChimp, who we are very lucky to have as sponsors. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
That that was not planned for the record. There we go. Uh, very nice. No. Very nice. You are a natural ad man. I, well, <laughs> I, I'll take that as a positive thing. I think. Hey, hey no, of course, of course. I, I, I'm trying to balance out the I'm known as the as the ad lovers. I'm trying to sh- I'm shoveling it uh, off. Okay, I'll I'll take it. Uh, no, seriously <laughs> though, thank you, Mailchimp. We really appreciate the sponsorship. No, it, it is a great example of 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 the way companies are going to be in the future. So, excellent. Uh, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye.